of everyone. Probably one of the most well-known, highly regarded, most listened to uh, people in the financial world is an individual named Warren Buffett. I think he's called the or Oracle of Omaha. There's a whole story with him being very close friends uh, with a rabbi who lived next door to him in the early 60s. Uh, Warren Buffett is an avid uh, bridge player. The rabbi and his wife was an avid bridge player. The rabbi gave him some money. You can figure out what happened with the money. <laughs> the rabbi had a very comfortable retirement, apparently. But uh, what's not so well known about Warren Buffett is his second in command, his vice president, is an individual named Charlie Munger. And what's even perhaps less known is that uh, Berkshire Hathaway, their holding company, had not two senior partners, that being Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, but there was a third. The third was an individual by the name of Rick Guerin. You probably never heard of Rick Guerin. You probably will never hear of him again. But I'm going to tell you about Rick Guerin. Rick Guerin, as I said to you, was one of the early partners in Berkshire Hathaway. And by 1970, Rick Guerin was forced out of Berkshire Hathaway. He had to sell his interest in the company, in the holding company, to both Charlie Munger and to Warren Buffett. And why? Warren Buffett, in an interview, once referenced the fact that Rick Guerin was forced to sell his interest to the two of them because with the, uh, with the stock market collapse in the early 1970s, he was overwhelmed with margin calls. What's a margin call? Now, I'm just a simple country rabbi, but I know a little bit about this, and I can say that when you borrow money to buy equities, and then the value of the equities that are securing the line of credit go down, you got to sell things or provide cash to cover the back end of it. So he went to his partners, sold to shares in Berkshire Hathaway, and the rest is history. And why did he have to do this? Because as Berkshire Hathaway's value started increasing and increasing, it wasn't becoming rich enough fast enough for him. But he was already a wealthy man. He had made more money by 1972 than he could have probably ever comfortably spent over the course of his life. And yet he got involved in dangerous margin trading to buy more and to earn more. The English playwright Oscar Wilde once famously said that there are only actually two tragedies in human life, getting what you want and not getting what you want. One of the great drivers in our lives, and I make myself no exception to this rule, by the way, are in fact two things. One, humans want to be happy. We love being happy. I'm not going to talk about how often we end up being happy, but the idea of happiness is a huge driver to us. But more important than happiness is success. We want to not only be successful, but more important than being successful, we want to look successful. Because the thought of looking successful will make us feel successful. And so human beings are driven to happiness, but more importantly, to success. Believing that what and why is happiness subservient to success? Because we think that if we become successful, I'll be happy. I want to introduce you to the fact that what makes people successful in life is not a homogenous idea. Not surprising to you that over the course of human history, that is over thousands of thousands of years, 
There have been different ideas about what makes humans or what should be considered to be success in human life. You could probably break these two categories down into a neat kind of section. One is what we, what we would call an ancient concept of success, more like a biblical concept, and then what we would call a Western or a Greek kind of idea. The Western idea that we are so familiar with is the mythology and idea of the self-made person. What does the self-made man talk about? And for the record, of course, this is the foundational myth of the entire Western world, that people who scratch from nothing, they make their way to the top by their wits, by their acumen, by their guile. That I made a decision at this time, in this place, in this way, that made me successful. successful. It is for the record why, if you ever wondered, why people who have any kind of success in their life, why they write a book, What's the presumption? The presumption is, is that people will buy the book because we want to figure out how to be successful like them. And then, I guess if you're lucky, they'll make a movie. And then you'll actually get to see what the book said about what I did to make myself successful. The, the great American writer F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote his most famous book, which has been written to, uh, made into numerous iterations of movies called The Great Gatsby, which is the embodiment of the Western idea of success, that I can make my success, my ses, myself successful by willing myself to do certain things to that end. The Jewish idea the biblical idea of success is radically different. While the Western one is one that is completely centered on me, of what I have done, of who I am, of the decisions that I made, the Jewish idea is, is different. And it's different, perhaps, exposed with this little question. One of the prayers that are most well-known in Judaism that I suspect in less than an hour is going to be recited. In fact, the only thing standing between me, you, and that is me, is the hamotzi, the blessing recited over the bread. If you pay attention carefully to the blessing over the bread, the hamotzi, what does it say? It says, Baruch Hashem Elokeinam hamotzi lechem What does it say? That we bless God for bringing bread out of the ground. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that you can't go to a synagogue and pray for bread. Now, the wheat comes from the ground, but the bread does not. In order to make bread, what must one do? You must plant the seeds, and you must water them, and then you must harvest it, and then you have to grind the wheat, and then you make the dough, and then you bake it. So why is it that we bless God for making bread when God does not make bread? We make the bread. God makes the grain, but we make the bread. In ancient Greece, they told the story about how humans came into contact and created or found fire. It's a story of Prometheus, 
How does Prometheus get fire? Where do humans discover fire from? According to the legend of Prometheus, Prometheus goes and steals fire from the gods, from Zeus, and he brings it down to earth. And that's how, according to this Greek myth, that humans got fire. But there's a Jewish story about how humans got fire, which is radically different from the Greek story in the foundational story about how humans discovered fire. The ancient rabbis told the story that on the first night that Adam was created, as the sun was setting, Adam, the first human being, was overcome with fear. It was dark and it was cold and he was very alone and he began to tremble. And so God, in seeing Adam alone and fearful and trembling, brings two stones down to Adam. And he tells Adam to rub them together, which Adam does. And it creates a spark. And then it makes a fire. And when the fire caught, Adam looked at it and said, Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam borei meorei haish. Blessed are you, O king of the universe, who creates fire. Why did Adam thank God for creating fire when Adam was the one who made the fire? And it seems to me that both with the blessing over the bread and the creation of fire, in direct distinction to the story of Prometheus, that what humans in the biblical concept do is that every moment of success in our life we are filled not with conceit or power. We are filled with gratitude. Gratitude for the tools that we have. Gratitude for the life that we have. Gratitude for the abilities that we have. For the things that we are able to achieve. Gratitude, rather than filling us with conceit or power or overbearingness, gratitude creates a heightened awareness of humility in a human being of us being proud of what we've done, but understanding that we all stand on the shoulder of at least one other person that has brought us to where we are. And why do I share this idea with you? Not only because it is a profoundly important human lesson to learn, that at the height of your greatest moments of success, to eschew the sense or conceit of power that you think you may have, because don't forget that as numerous the stories there are of people who have become successful, there are at least as equal many number of stories of people who became successful who ended up destroying their own lives because of their success. But the reason why I share this is because on this morning in the Torah portion, as the Israelites are in the penultimate moment of their success, they have exited out of Egypt. They survived 40 years of wandering in the desert. They are now at the border of entering into the land of Israel. They are at the moment on the perch, on the edge of their great success. What does God say to them? Be careful. Because success has destroyed more people than failure has. In terms of destroying their humanity. And so the warning for the Israelites was, 
that as, on the, that as they are on the edge of breaching into success, for them not to forget what their success is built upon. It is the things that God gives us. This is one of religion's great ideas, that the steps that we take in this life, the things we value and hold on to, that they are the byproduct of the things that are given to us. The great English poet John Locke was right when he said that no man is an island to himself. Do you know why John Locke wrote those words? If you know the end of the poem, perhaps you'll have an allusion to it. Because Locke finished the poem by saying, do not ask for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for you. Locke wrote that in the 16th century. And, Egypt, and England was in the grip of the plague. And people were dying in the numbers every day. And Locke had, John Locke had put himself in his home. And he had secluded himself. And every day he woke up and heard the church bells ringing. For whom the bell tolls. And yet he reminded himself that no man is an island to himself. True success in life is not built upon what I have done. In the Jewish version of it, it's what we have done. Shabbat Shalom. Please rise. Page 368. <laughs> Yermani verachirutevi mi kwa kutei, bechaye konev mechor.